Welcome back to Reformed Millennials, the podcast where finances, economic trends, and sports intersect. Cam and Joel help listeners better invest their time and money. Also, it's important for listeners to understand that investing in equities, fixed income instruments, and or alternative asset classes involves substantial risk of loss. Any action you may take as a result of the information presented in this podcast is your own responsibility. The information in this podcast is presented as a general educational, informational, and entertainment resource only. While Joel is registered to provide investment advice, this podcast does not provide individualized investment, tax, or insurance advice, nor is it meant as a recommendation to any any listener to buy or sell any specific securities or otherwise take any other form of investment action. This is an excerpt of the full legal disclaimer that's available on the landing page of this podcast, which includes whether Cam Pitchers or Joel Shackleton have any ownership or interest in the specific securities discussed in this podcast. Cam. Sorry for being late today. It's okay. It's minus 87 outside. Yeah. Um, Hence why I'm wearing a toque today. I know. It looks good on cold. you. That's you have the best hair I, I know of, and you're wearing a toque. <laughs> I'm hiding it. To be honest, I think it's more of a message towards me and having bad hair, but <laughs> thanks for making me feel good. Um, yeah. Not warm out. And um, it's not just Edmonton. It is the, the whole... Yeah, the whole North America. North America. Polar vortex, I think, is what they call it. Yeah, it snowed or, in Arizona a couple of days ago. There you go. It is going to have a huge effect on one of the biggest weekends in sports, wildcard weekend in the NFL. Thank God it's inside in, in Dallas, Dallas for you. Yeah, Joel's favorite team playing Cam's favorite team on Sunday. Just so you know, last 10 games, Pack have played the Cowboys. We've won 9 of 10. Yeah. Last time we played in the dome, one thirty-three to three. So do I get deal. nine to one odds? <laughs> for for sure you do. For sure you do. Um, it's interesting going in. You had shared a graphic <clears throat> the other day. Obviously, we talk a lot about how like the NFL and the behemoth that it is in comparison to the other four major sport leagues in North America, uh, or as one of the four major sport leagues in America. And I think the I mean grain of salt with the graphic that you shared, which was essentially showing average viewership per game in each sport so 9.2 million viewers for the nfl everything else i think the next closest was nba at 700 and something thousand now the grain of salt there is 16 games in a season or 16 games in a season for each team as compared to 82 or 162 in the mlb so obviously there's just we've, we've talked about the fact that that's a competitive advantage for the nfl and the fact that they create events around their teams and is the the, the scarcity of games, the scarcity of sport, as you put it, is, is such a such a major driver of that. But even like you said, just before we started recording, let's divide that by 10. And there's still a huge gap, right, in, in terms of okay. average viewership. So the the fact that the we, we've talked about a couple times this year about how it seems that the product on the field and it might just be anecdotal for this one year because there was so many injuries to major quarterbacks. Uh, who are the obviously drivers of of the sport in terms of specific players, but like the the product on the field this year, I would say was definitely a down year mm-hmm. in comparison, and there wasn't as much intrigue into even like the MVP race, for example. Like there's been there's been a new MVP favorite like every four week stretch essentially because no one's really had that like sustained dominance, 
And usually it's like, okay, well, these, these two guys, or these two quarterbacks usually in any single year that have just been taking their teams to the very, very top. And it's, I guess the storylines are just different this year. But just because the product on the field isn't necessarily at the same competitive level does not mean that they've slipped in terms of viewership and interest, et cetera. And now they're heading into, again, they've, they added an extra team to the playoffs. I think it was like three or four years ago now to create essentially six games on on the weekends for for wildcard weekends and i would say i think it's gonna be half of these games are going to be played in some crazy cold windy snowy weather which i think for the football purist is just like the best thing that can happen because they play all year not all year but most of the year in pretty favorable weather outside of maybe some of the northeast teams at the the back half of the year but now you have like Buffalo's hosting a game and it's going to be, I think it's like zero degrees Fahrenheit with snow and wind. Who and then you got, Are they, playing? they got Pittsburgh. Oh so it's going to be just a bloodbath 13, 10 game. <laughs> yeah. And then you got KC, which is, I think as a projection is supposed to be like top five coldest games ever played. If I, th- I think is what I read based on the current forecast in KC. So it's going to be so, like, essentially they, I would think that's, the Dolphins? Yeah, and I think like safety would come into play at some point. Yeah. The fact that these guys are out there spinning balls and uh, hitting each other with no gloves on and toques that I have on inside right now. Like, I mean, it's going to be crazy to watch. But again, that's just like the intrigue that builds up for this sport. Um, the fact that obviously you do have some controlled environments like you do in Dallas or Detroit or Minnesota, et cetera, where they have these domes in, in, I guess Dallas isn't a cold weather city, but still like they have a controlled environment, but there is that intrigue around being in an, an outside environment too, which I'm assuming too, like the betting markets for all of this too, it must be so hard to handicap games when you're considering mm-hmm. like Buffalo, Pittsburgh, for example, I think the line was 10 points originally. And then that's probably going down because it's like, how are they going to even put up points when they're probably clearing the field for snow every five minutes and the game's going to look completely different? So it's it's funny how obviously there's going to be a ton of intrigue heading into the weekend, but it's also crazy what I think the effect that's going to have on on the the betting market and probably people getting involved in into the sport even more this weekend, given the kind of pretty one off in terms of the playoff week in terms of this weather being involved. Yeah, no, that's a really good roundup for it. Quite honestly, I'm. I, I'm not really worried about the rest of the games. I'm just kind of focused on the Cowboys putting up 60 against you guys. Mm-hmm. Not really worrying about too much. I can't wait to recap. We're going to have a specific episode next week just going over every play in the game. Jordan Love, four interceptions. It should be It should be good. <laughs> we got not, The only thing that you have to worry about is that we got nothing to lose. No, so do we. Like, Dak may never play another game for the you, Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, I, say, to you guys. I was going to say, you have everything to lose, and we have nothing. Youngest team in the league. It's going to be great. So, look, listeners, watch out for next week. For anyone watching this, I if we do win, I will have all of my Packer gear on next week for the podcast. So. <laughs> I hope you have a helmet. I think you do, don't you? I do, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, so moving on, I, I wanted to kind of talk about China, India, um, what I'm seeing in the financial advice portfolio management sphere. This past weekend, we had CES in Las Vegas. This past week, sorry. What does CES stand for? Um, Consumer Technology Association puts on CES. I was watching a few of the presentation keynotes um, from from Intel and from Nvidia. Jensen Wang was there, um, and this was the widest attended CES of all time hmm. um, for the last I don't know twenty years. I don't think it's ever gotten this much attention, and I think it's pretty clear why. 
you have a boom or a new boom in artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. And what I'm noticing in my industry is the average age of the portfolio manager in my space is in its late 50s, early 60s. Sure. The idea that there's a new regime change in technology is not even on most people's radar, I don't think. Obviously, if you are in your 20s and 30s, you're paying attention to this. Um, but if you're wondering why your manager has missed the last five tech booms, it's largely because they don't have a clue what's happening. So you're not going to invest in something that you don't understand. Not, no way. And if you go and you look at the average allocation, it's 60% Canada. You have a major focus on dividend payers. You have a over investment in banks and railways and dividend um, aristocrats, people mm -hmm. that are growing their dividend. And all of that is a tale of a generation where you were taught to buy a house, you were taught to um, that to be your largest investment, pay down debt, and you will reach Valhalla and retire. And that has all worked really well. Mm -hmm. But the way in which the world is moving today, it's moving faster, it's, it's um, changing quicker than we ever could have possibly imagined even 20 years ago to think about where we've gone in just three years and the way in which our lifestyle has changed, the way that um, we approach even child management, time management, everything mm -hmm. has changed. And five years ago, it was all about software. Tomorrow and today, it's all about our artificial intelligence. And if you aren't focusing there, you're losing. And I think it's also really important for us to pay attention to the the new fracturing of our world, the geopolitical dynamics of our world, where we're seeing um, obviously multiple wars, which that's not what I'm wanting to talk about. It's it's more along the lines of the emergence of India, the um, demographic demise of, of China specifically, but their new reinvestment in the rest of the world, um, identifying when bubbles pop. All of these things are are not talked about enough. And for me, I think what's quite obvious right now is just the, the, the current EV bubble that was mm. obvious during the, um, <clears throat> we'll call it COVID, three years of COVID where Tesla went to the moon. And it's now obviously still quite richly valued, but month over month, it's 10 straight trading days where it's traded down. Um, we haven't seen something like that in Tesla since, I mean, outside of 2022, we haven't seen something like that in a very long time. Mm -hmm. And that's while the rest of the market is rallying. I think that, that is something to pay attention to. Lucid's at all-time lows. And there's more and more information coming out that the uh, Chinese um, electric vehicle market is actually outselling Tesla, yeah. outselling the, the domestic market here. And to me, um, I, I, I can see a consumer pushback the other direction where it's pretty clear that our culture has decided that full EVs, while yes, they work, it's it's definitely going to be something in the middle. So just identifying little little trends like that. Um, I saw a really great tweet thread um, on the weekend from, I'm forgetting who it was, but the the thread basically identified two types of investors and the the philosophy in which most people take. And the generation that is that precedes me, the people that I've learned from, um, I would identify as being people that are reversion to the mean investors. 
And I think it's the most powerful thing in investing, no doubt in the why, in my mind. I talk about it all the time. And then there's those that are more momentum based. And I think that that is kind of more ingrained in the Gen Z, the millennial. Mm. And what does that mean? It's trend following. There's a million definitions for Riskier. It. Yeah, absolutely. You're taking more risk because you're buying companies that have higher multiples. I go and I sit in the room of a, an investment advisor or a portfolio manager and they talk about earnings multiples. And then they look at NVIDIA and Amazon and they're trading at 70, 80 times earnings. And then you have Apple trading at 40 or 35 and they're like, this is too rich for me to own. And if they approach everything from that lens, they end up missing every single technological innovation that has hit our desks in the last 20 years. Right. And it's, <clears throat> I move into a, a larger institution where I get to see not just like colleagues, but more, more along the lines, I get to see way more managers walking through, um, pitching, even um, other advisors at other shops and understanding that they're just completely ingrained in yesterday yesterday mm -hmm. i wouldn't even say yesterday three decades ago and this is not me trashing because i think a lot of the time it's it's representative of what those investors want but if returns and um are of concern i don't think it necessarily makes a lot of sense to own what worked into in 1955 through to 1985 and the next 40 years is likely going to be more transformative than even the 1990s through uh, mm -hmm. 2020. And I think that's really tough to conceptualize given the fact that what were we doing in 1990, Cam? I went out for dinner once to Montana's. I put a big hat on and they sang me bir uh, my birthday song. And that was the only time I went out for dinner. <laughs> I watched movies in a VHS. Sandlot was the best movie in the world. I We had dial-up internet. That's still true. Yeah, it's true. It is still true. Uh, dial-up internet, we had like Sega and we had N64 and then Xbox by the time we were in high school. And we, the fact that we were talking on those like little crappy Xbox headphones mm. or headsets was mind blowing to my mother. The fact that I could sit and play video games all night and play talk Gears to some, of War. Talk to somebody in Wisconsin. At the same, insane, yeah. right? And now today you have um, the drop of Apple's new headset and you're able to relive your son at three years old when he's now six and mm. it's like you're there mm -hmm. you have these these new experiences that feel out of this world like star trek mm -hmm. and <clears throat> i don't even want to know at this at the pace of moore's law compounding and innovation if you're still depending on cn rail for your returns yeah i don't think that that's the best approach so well i think like i mean and, and the best obviously scale it but i mean and grain of salt on this too but i mean like you think about some of the most the most institutionalized investors in the world, like even look at Berkshire Hathaway, like what they've done, what, where they're putting their money. Well, fifty percent of the market cap value of Berkshire Hathaway is Apple. Yeah. So, but I mean, but I like look at like I mean you had, you had talked about um, China's EV market or just I guess auto market in general and how I think it's BYD is the name if I'm yeah, if I scrolled right. properly here yeah is uh, now taken over from Tesla and I think Q4 of 2023 in terms of largest EV automaker. And I think that's obviously on the back of huge sales in China specifically. Mm -hmm. But like BYD is 7.98% owned by Berkshire Hathaway, which is expanded like aggressively. In, yeah. So it's like, that's the kind of interesting thing where it's like, okay, this is, 
is it is that maybe the same thing you're talking about in terms of a trend? Maybe not. Maybe a bit more based in some history in terms of like automaker. Mm-hmm. Obviously, what an automaker is today is different than it was in 1955. Totally. But it's still that's something that 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 proves that it's like you, you probably weren't investing in a Chinese automaker in 1955, right? No. So like even from that perspective, like that change, right? Um, one thing I do have to say, you'd mentioned Apple's um, Vision Pro, I guess, or Vision Pro 2 or yeah, whatever it is. Like yeah, like, I mean, it's the first one. watching the promo for that or the advertising for that is just like, yeah, like you said, so mind-blowing. I still can't go over the fact that like in that, it's like the wife and the kid, like the dad has the glasses on and the wife and the kid are walking around. But he's just like interacting with them, like everything's normal. It's like if I walked into my kitchen and my wife was wearing those and just started like having a conversation with me while making dinner and then talking to our kid. Yeah, it's like no, I know it starts out as a joke. It starts out as in 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 the sense of video games and being kind of cumbersome, Mm -hmm. and then they become Ray Bans. I just yeah, I just can't I can't wait for the day where we're just walking down yeah in july and summer at edmonton and there's just going to be like 50 people with these on just interacting yeah you know it's funny um the the idea of airpods before they had dropped seemed absurd to a degree yeah apparently apple only expected to sell 5 million um, units of those they sold at their peak 98 million units Mm -hmm. apple's airpods are like considered to be a top 50 business in the united states it's just mental the, <laughs> and they've also created the most annoying thing in the world for anyone trying to have trying to have a person-to-person conversation oh sorry what uh, yeah <laughs> obviously you can't see this on audio but me taking my taking my airpod out of my ear when someone talks to me and i haven't noticed that they were you know talking what, to, to be me. quite honest though as we transition to the next topic having my earpod airpods in when i am walking down the street and i see somebody who is very clearly a bitcoiner i'm glad that i don't have to listen to them. <laughs> So the Bitcoin ETF got approved yesterday or two days ago. Yeah. Big deal. Mm-hmm. Huge deal. Mm-hmm. Blow off top. Went to 49,000 and then dropped back down to 46. Do you think there's a chance that this approval, this ETF approval, mm-hmm. is the same thing as marijuana approval in, in Canada in terms of price? So for people yeah. that don't remember, um, I, I remember really <laughs> well, by the way, because yeah. I was told how dumb I was for thinking that Marijuana wasn't the be- world's greatest business. Mm-hmm. It was going to rock the world. It was going to be bigger than Apple. And then Aurora Cannabis went bankrupt. And then it wasn't. Yeah, literally went to zero. Um, it went to $17, though. The day that it was approved, that was the top, the absolute top of Aurora, mm-hmm. of, of um, Chrono, everything. That's when um, publicly traded marijuana was had peaked. How much support from big investment houses was there for the cannabis movement none so that was the yeah. biggest issue right even today if you think about AYR wellness if you think about um, the msos um, etf in the united states where that's mostly like a, ex- a broad exposure across the, the the board of publicly traded marijuana businesses in the us mm-hmm. they're still dealing with legalization issues it's mm-hmm. mostly the banking problem mm-hmm. and they can't get financing like you effectively have to bootstrap the entire business, which is obviously very challenging in a low margin business. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, I don't want to talk about this too much because it's not really that important, but the, the, uh, the sentiment I'm trying to, to rummage up here is the fact that the Bitcoin ETF specifically, um, it's there. Institutions can now, um, gain exposure to it. I don't see why it won't have more people investing in it, but 
Um, That's the biggest thing. I mean, from talking to a lot of clients of mine, I'm sure a lot of clients of yours who would be in the Gen X, even older, like that that generation that are forward thinking, but also don't want to just go out and buy well, how straight can up you, how Bitcoin. Can you even possibly trust any exchange ever? Yeah. After what happened last year. Yeah. So true, hundred percent true. So I think this this obviously gives some some credence or the ability to dip your toe in. Yeah. And feel a little bit more safe with your investment. Yeah, like, oh, Fidelity's doing it. Okay. Yeah. All right. I can throw this in my my Roth RIA or four hundred one k or TFSA mm-hmm. or RSP. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. I could see why this is a the big ease deal. of investing of is all yeah is huge there yeah totally but totally you, agree but now now you need a new catalyst for price so what is that I don't know I'm interested I I'm I've along if you go back through every conversation I've had on this podcast you will see that I've very much been of the opinion that rich people can't afford not to have exposure here it's it's like what happens if it is real mm-hmm. and if it is you have none. So you've effectively gone from winning the game with fiat currency and you're going to not win the game on the other side because you refuse to put 1% in. Yeah. You're insane. It's that tail risk is not worth it, right? But but with all that said, it also still is full of insanity and the people that do well there are very unorthodox human beings. Cowboys. Cowboys. Yeah. Absolutely insane, right? And that's um Usually the case with most new tech, mm-hmm. but also um, I'm still waiting for that that big um, moment where it's actually a utility to own it, mm-hmm. right? And I just don't have it. But um, an important a, step, at yeah, hundred percent. And I think a lot a lot of people obviously have been waiting for this, and um, again, finding ways to even have this more simplistic from a taxation standpoint. Right. People have a lot of questions about that in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, directly holding Bitcoin. How do I hold it? How do I manage it? And when am I triggering a tax event? And holding- we're still looking for identification in Canada, are we not? Like in terms uh, of well, and there is there is like basic gray level, like it's a commodity in Canada. E- well, yeah. And, and, and it depends, obviously, on how if you're, you know, buying it and holding it and selling it. I mean, capital capital treatment would be kind of the default. Uh, obviously, if it's a business that you are running in terms of like actively trading it every single day or whatever it might be, then there is support for it becoming a income item or like a business income item. Um, or depending on maybe if you are if you're in like the mining side of things, obviously it would be, it would be even Definitely. different there. So um, and like what you could, like what you're earning from from that. So they, there's a ton of gray area, but there is some general guidance on it. Like I have dealt with it on a, on a few occasions with uh, personal tax clients as well as some corporations hold it kind of like holding companies hold it as an investment as well. No different than having some gold coins or whatever it might be. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think from the Good for them for identifying it for sure, for sure. I mean, like, again, it's like, it would be exactly what you're talking about. Like when people are making, let's just use the holding company example, making decisions on what to do with their, um, you know, deferred savings that they've, they've now realized at the holding company level with whatever they're doing and making strategic decisions on investments. So, I mean, obviously, historically, that has usually been, hey, Joel, um, would love to open up a portfolio account with you and make some investments there. Uh, rental properties, uh, gold, whatever it might be. This is just something else that is ha- has started to become a, a speaking point and a d- discussion. And it's I would say for most of my 
for the clients that have done this from, I think, obviously a, a measured perspective, it's just essentially taking 10% of what they have and putting it into something like that or 5% or whatever mm-hmm. it is, which I'm always supportive of uh, in, in terms of just what you said. There is the, it's no different than taking your risk on a, you know, investing in a private company. There is the risk that this goes to zero. Totally. There is the risk that this can blow up and be a great investment for you. So, um, but from the ETF perspective, and again, just from like an individual investor standpoint, it does, it, it gives you some ease in reporting from that standpoint. You can buy into, make decisions to, to, to buy into this ETF, whether it be in a non-reg account or um, for in my example here, and it's just going to be reported on a tax slip. So are you going to have some income tax exposure potentially, but it's, you know, from the tracking perspective, it's not something that's again, wild, wild west style where you're having to kind of manage it yourself. You are able to gain exposure into the market and in some which way, shape or form, but also have it kind of more institutionalized in terms of like traditional reporting. Yeah. Well, I have a feeling this is going to be a hot topic all year. Um, I'm guessing by the end of the year, we'll have a Vanguard ETF and everybody and their dog will have um, the ability to buy it and that'll be super powerful. Um, but if you have any further questions, obviously reach out. Um, Cam, I want to talk about, I have, this will be my second thing, but I thought this was the most interesting founders episode that I have listened to in a, in a number of, I call it even years because I didn't know a lot about it, but the Red Bull founder passed away recently mm-hmm. and Dietrich Matsushitz. I know that sounds like I'm, I'm abusing that name, but apparently he's <laughs> Austrian and yeah. he was uh, one of the founders of, of Red Bull, owned 49% of Red Bull, passed mm-hmm. it on to his son. Um, but the, the way in which he built the enterprise was fascinating mm-hmm. because at no point did they ever take outside money at no point. Um, after the, I think 1995, did they ever incur any sort of debt Mm -hmm. at no point did they ever even consider going public? It is one of the most interesting brand stories that, and product stories that I've, I've listened to. It's only an hour and 10 minutes. Usually these, these founders podcasts are quite a bit longer Mm -hmm. just because of how, um, in like incredibly private he was as a person. And just the the lack of information that was out there about him. Yeah. But um, you're right. There really wasn't anything day to day. Like he wasn't visible. Oh yeah, completely invisible. He he ref- he didn't even like going out into public. Apparently, mm-hmm. all he liked doing is is like dr- like driving his planes fast, driving cars fast, going to extreme events, mm-hmm. um, skiing. That's the type of person he was, which obviously speaks to why the direction of the support that they had that brand behind the sport yeah they did um so at the very beginning of the business they had a small bank loan um they both him and his business partner put in five hundred thousand dollars each that Mm -hmm. was after they had already um crafted the product they had been just fiercely um committed to a single product as well they very rarely deviated from the red bull can itself and I think what is is most interesting to me was the way in which he um, approached, obviously the marketing side, because that is what most people think about, right? But the way in which he never really hired an outside um, agency, mm-hmm. he actually sourced out everything, bottling, 
the, the, the actual making of the, of the product, mm -hmm. none of that was controlled by the, uh, the operations of the business. The operations of the business was effectively a marketing business. How well do you think, just as an aside, because um, we had a couple of friends when we were in our late teens, early 20s that used to drive around those Red Bull cars that had oh, no yeah. free Red Bulls. How do you think that campaign went? I think it worked. <laughs> that was amazing. They used to go to bars too. I think they still do. They did, yeah. I've yeah, actually yeah. seen one of those Red Bull cars recently. Have you? In okay. Calgary. Okay. Um, Stampede, they're around. <laughs> yeah, fair. And they okay. got those big Red Bull backpacks. Yeah, maybe a bit more targeted now. For than, sure. I'm yeah. sure it's not quite as... Uh, I don't think they do it as, as much as they used to. But <laughs> anyways, I don't know if that was not working. But the fact of the matter is the business was generating five to $800 million per shareholder. So for 49% stake, he was making roughly 800 million a year in, in, in dividend payout. Mm -hmm. Every other dollar obviously is reinvested in the business. Um, they are valuing it at 70 billion when he passed away mm -hmm. for a single product. Mm -hmm. Amazing. I think the other th cool thing with like how they marketed themselves in terms of like kind of into the extreme sport or the, not necessarily even just extreme, but into the the tertiary sport side of things, like like diving, like so, like I mean, like you you look at but cheap the, athletes. Where do you buy cheap athletes? Hundred percent, hundred percent agree. Like you look at, I, I follow this like really odd thing, but like it's she's like a Canadian Olympic diver, and she's got like a cool TikTok and Instagram page, and like goes over all of her diving exercises, like and most of it's in like Olympic pools during her Canadian national oh, training or whatever. But she's also part of, like, she goes to these Red Bull events that are all over the world that are, like, cliff diving things mm -hmm. where she's doing the same dives but, like, just in this, like, extreme atmosphere. But, like, Red Bull, Red Bull, Red Bull, right? Or skiing. Like, I had sent a video the other day of yeah. that guy setting the record for, like, speed down this, you know, course in Austria or whatever it was. Yeah. Red Bull, Red Bull, Red Bull. F1. Red Bull, Red Bull, Red Bull. All these things where, again, I think that the support... I mean, that's not exactly the cheap athletes out of things. That was that investment was made after they made all their money and then got into the one sure. of the biggest sports on the planet. But outside of that, I mean, even thinking about other big sports, like I think again, I when I think Red Bull, I do think Europe a little bit more too, um, just in general. But from my take, I guess across the pond, it's still not necessarily something where it's like Man United's official sports drink or energy drink is Red Bull, or like, they didn't really identify with with that side of things. They always push towards something different where they could they could elevate that sport. Do you know why they to... chose those sports, though, I think? And I don't know this as a fact. I just assume that this is the way, the reason why. Obviously, one, it being like cheap uh, acquisition of, of athlete. Like, mm -hmm. for them to identify with Red Bull and use that as their major sports sponsor was much cheaper than going to Man U. Yeah. But furthermore, they decided to produce. As I said, they have control over the, over the content and how so it's going to be. So they built these, built these, like they literally, like X Games, for instance, they were making these extreme sports more accessible. Mm -hmm. They were literally producing these events for these ath athletes yeah. and then giving it away to ESPN mm -hmm. and to major sports distribution. Mm -hmm. And that was their way of marketing without paying for marketing. And yeah. that was brilliant. And now obviously those sports are quite a bit bigger. They benefited from so many trends, like so many trends. Like the, obviously the F1 purchase, they are still, they're up a major amount of money on that team. Um, if you think about all of the, the um, advertising fracturing and trends that have changed, social media has benefited them so, so much. Mm -hmm. All of these things are down downstream of, of them building this phenomenal product that people love. Yeah. Basically making something that has a bunch of energy in it and carbonating it and putting it in a can. 
and it tasting okay. And <laughs> it's 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 shocking. He started this business at 41 years old. Like yeah, that's, that's late. Very impressive, you know. Yeah. And the fact he didn't take a dividend from that from that company until 1995 is also shocking. Um, just really the the commitment to the business, the fact that he never wanted to sell it. I'm guessing his son probably isn't allowed to either. He was never married. His son inherited everything. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know much about his son at all. I, I just honestly one of the coolest stories. I highly recommend the hour interview. Um, it was that along with the the child, the child care um, podcast. My wife were telling me or sending me mm-hmm. um, was was the highlight of my week. Um, we got to run pretty quick here, Ken. I was going to say, well, speaking of brands, another big, another big sports item, I think. Yeah, that's what I want to talk about yeah. next. Yeah, like, so like Tiger Woods leaving Nike after, was it 27 years? Four. 24 years? Okay. Something like that. Anyways, anyway. long time, over two decades. Uh, leaving Nike, obviously, I mean, I'm sure the reported numbers, obviously, in the billions in terms of like what that meant for the for the brand of Nike and then obviously what Tiger, but I mean, I mean, I'm sure there's, it's very, very hard to quantify exactly what that all meant in terms of that brand partnership between the two, uh, through all his ups and downs, obviously Nike was the one that was there with him and at the forefront. And now obviously taking that, now that step away from Nike and Nike has largely, I mean, you can speak to this better than me because you're, you know, obviously more of a, uh, of a golf stand than me, but, Nike really has not been on the forefront of golf outside of Tiger for quite a long time in terms of... Well, they sold their, their their club business a long time ago. Exactly. I mean, and so it's really just been the apparel. And then obviously it's kind of like, I think anyone that wore Nike was just like... Identifying with Tiger. Exactly. And it's not, it wasn't really the same kind Rory. of marketing push. Rory just well, doesn't drive the... Well, but that's the thing is like, I, I think of those big guys now more as tailor-made athletes. Yeah, because they're not. Nobody has been able to supersede Tiger, mm-hmm. and that might be kind of a brand problem for Nike, given that he doesn't play a lot of events. So for clothing, I don't. I'm not surprised that they're moving on from him. In terms of, there's there's got to be a way for them to start to fracture off and do something new. I also think that this is clearly a transition for old Tiggy Boy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have Scotty. Who? How is this not going to be Jordan? This is exactly what's going to happen. And you know that Jordan and Tiger are like best buddies. Mm-hmm. You think that T- Jordan hasn't been like, or Tiger hasn't yeah. been a little bit jealous Get of Get your own piece success, here. Yeah. Being like, okay, Scotty's wearing your shoes. Scotty's wearing your clothes. Why the heck aren't, isn't ever, the entire um, going to you. PGA yeah. wearing your stuff? And why aren't you getting that whole thing? Mm-hmm. Right? Everybody knows the story of Michael Jordan and Jordan's and, how, and his ownership structure there. I'm pretty darn sure Tiger wants that too. And you might as well strike now because he he's only becoming more and more irrelevant. Mm-hmm. But you see him doing podcasts. You see him doing shows on YouTube with foreplay. Um, he's he's doing something. Yeah. Because that guy doesn't do anything without it being properly planned out. Totally. You know? So I think it's going to be a big shift for him because, yeah, like you said, he's now identified, obviously, his health, like from the playing perspective, like there's always going to be – you know, the 30 year olds right now who grew up with him and want to see him win again kind of thing. And he's going to be able to all I want. get by by playing like essentially he said like once a month yeah. is what he's doing. But like, I mean, 100 percent this latest, I guess, injury recovery, I feel like 
has made him or probably the last couple anyways, but has made him realize I am, tra- I am transitioning. Mm-hmm. Like father time has caught up um, with He's me. He's not invincible anymore. He's not invincible anymore. He can't just do whatever he wants to do and get away with it type, make play with it on a broken leg and win the U S open by 10 shots or whatever the heck it was. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, what, what did Jordan, Jordan, I think, has lived a life of um, kind of behind the scenes, honestly, since he's retired. Like he came back and played those three years or whatever. But ever since then, like obviously he's, I think, more identified as a business mogul now. And then like totally. the, and the owner of the, you know, he just sold the, his interest in the uh, Charlotte Hornets team. I, I'm not sure if he sold everything, but mostly everything that he had or his majority stake anyways. away oh, profited a bunch from that. He he came to the realization, he's like, this is how I can continue to be competitive and continue to get my juices involved, like be in the game, but not in the game. But he's also not someone who needs to be in the spotlight. Like he he actually, I mean, if you, I've watched the Last Dance documentary like 5,000 times. Um, obviously that brought him to a new generation mm-hmm. of, of uh, basketball fans or sports fans in general. But even like the general theme through all of that was like he... He cared about one thing and one thing only, like winning championships, his legacy, the okay. sport itself. He was never – and then, like, I mean, obviously the brand of Nike and Jordan, how big he became. Yes, he became a global – but it wasn't because, like, he was, like, so self-involved that he had to be at that level. I think it was it was more of a product of who he was to the game of basketball rather than saying, like, I am need to be the best of the best at my brand. The best of the best of the brand came from him being so good at the sport. Like that's he always attributed to. I would not have been worth nothing to Nike if I wasn't committing everything I have to becoming the best basketball player. And then he took that same thing when he was done to becoming the best business owner, uh, investor on a go-for basis after his career was over. Whereas you contrast that to, I think, some sports athletes nowadays, they're more concerned with growing the brand as fast as possible and becoming a like i'm just gonna use like terrell owens like he didn't really have the same brand opportunity as athletes do today in terms of social media and and brand deals and all that kind of stuff but like he his talent on the field was like one of the best receivers to ever play but i think you think of him in terms of his personality and how um ridiculous he was at times rather than his great plays whereas jordan you think of and not a fair comparison exactly apples to apples, but you think of, you know, game six, you think of six and oh, six and oh, you, you think of all of his accolades from that first. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think Tiger also was, I mean, as much of he had some off the course issues, his commitment to the game and him wanting yeah. to be the best at golf is what led him to be his branding to be that much more powerful. And I think he's going to be able to do the same thing post career or as he like kind of winds down. The nice thing with golf, obviously, is you can always be kind of visible and show up to things, um, play a few tournaments a year. But I think he's, yeah, he's going to be more of an ambassador for the game and and potentially an ambassador for his brand. And he's going to be able to have the best athletes be woods athletes or tiger athletes on a go for a basis. Maybe he'll have more children and be like the ball family. Well, I was, I mean, Char- Charlie's going to play. We know that. Whether so. he's good or not, still on the, well, I'm still on the fence about that. Um, let's do some. It'd be a great story. 100%. Uh, I got some recommendations, then we'll head out of here. The best pod slash video I watched on YouTube is the three biggest business opportunities for people in their 20s from my first million. Um, Scott Galloway was inter- interviewed. It was awesome. 
he literally talked about every business of his and then also got it out of the guys, um, the two guys on the, on the pod. It was, it was so raw and such a great interview. I, similar to the guys on the, my first million, obviously they're significantly more successful than I am. But the, the, uh, the idea that he's like, for whatever reason, a, um, very influential person for me and, and, and like decisions made books that I've read, um, even the things that I, how I sound when I speak, mm-hmm. I feel like I've taken a lot mimetically from Scott Galloway and um, I just really admire him. So really great interview. I really enjoyed it. Now I'm obsessed with gas stations. So um, <laughs> I, I, it's crazy. So really enjoyed that interview. Uh, do you got any recos? Um, I think you recorded this maybe in the fall and then I just wanted to follow up on it. So Morgan Housel's latest book book. Yeah. So same as ever. I had you talked about that or yeah. Okay. That's yeah. what I thought. So, um, just as, a, I've now started that book, I purchased it over the Christmas break and, and started it. First chapter is crazy. Hey, yeah. I mean, yeah. Amazing. So yeah. I, I won't go deep dive into it, but just, um, I think at times, especially in our world today, we can feel overwhelmed with um, trying to stay up on trends, like understanding the the changes in lines of thinking or maybe thinking like, well, I don't understand this or I, I can't bring myself to understand this or learn enough about this. And it just kind of talks to you about, you know, lots of things stay the same too, obviously, same as ever. So... I like the general rhetoric and tone of the book so far, and it's been very interesting. So um, I guess just seconding your your recommendation on well, the side of the table after starting. Yeah, if anybody ever is looking to build a business, buy a business, listening or reading a book about things that stay the same is probably the best thing to base it off. Mm-hmm. Anyone who talks to you, be like, oh, no, 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 no. you got to go and innovate and build the, right, the, the next thing. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't you start in doing the things that have, that stay the same. You need building blocks, you need anchors. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So great book. I we're actually me and my wife are doing a book club this year. Yeah. Where we read a book a month. Nice. And then we read the same book. Mm-hmm. That's she doesn't know that I've read it already, but we're gonna do it in February because nice. I think that she should read it. I hope that and not only that, it's the type of book that she won't get bored with. Yeah, hundred percent. I would yeah, I would second that. I would yeah. I think it's it can go to you don't have to be a you have to be finance a, yeah, guy, at all. girl to get into that. No, whatsoever. Well, Cam, thanks for uh, waiting around for me. Appreciate it. Stay warm, everybody. See you next week.